Welcome, listeners, to another edition of Brothers in Song. What's going on, Joe? Well, Dan, I, I just got to say this week was a long one. I know. <laughs> We're recording on Sunday because we had so much stuff going on. Went to the dentist, had a board meeting, uh, had another event I had to go to this week. It was like a whirlwind tour. And uh, I don't know. But glad to be here with you on a nice, crisp Sunday night. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, things at work are, are winding down for me a little bit. Uh, I I was having a busy time like you. I went to the farmer's market yesterday. Nice. Bought some really nice bread. Mm-hmm. And I bought some I bought some radishes because I'm a, I'm a bit of a weirdo. I like eating radishes on toast with butter, salt, and pepper. No, no, like no, a, no, no, no. You're not a like, weirdo. It, it's very French. Yeah, it is. It's an old-fashioned fashion French thing. That's that's our, like, French farmer's blood coming into your veins, I guess. <laughs> I, 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 I guess so, but uh, people I tell tell about that, you know, think it's a little bit weird. And and speaking of weird, I wanted to ask you a question. Can you remember a time yes. or two when you heard a piece of music that was so weird that you were just really taken aback and you didn't know what to make of it? Like, you didn't even know whether you liked it or not because it was so just out there and not what you were accustomed to. Yes. Uh, I, I have an honorable mention and then I have like a deep, deep end of the pool thing, which probably like maybe one of our listeners has ever really heard of. So, okay. <laughs> uh, which is why it's, it's appropriate for this question. So, um, Giancarlo Manotti, he was like a 20th century, like late era Verismo composer. Um, so he was like after Puccini, um, after Mascani, who's those are two composers we've talked about on this podcast. And there's one opera. It's actually the opera that like inspired me to get with my wife because she was singing in it uh, ah. called The Medium. And uh, it's about a medium. So it's like very spooky, but it has these like unbelievably beautiful Italianate lyrical moments in it. And um, the first time you hear it, you're like, it's familiar, but it's not quite what I'm expecting. And it takes a little bit of listening to to really like get into the groove of it. But um, when you do, it's it's totally worth it. So so that's kind of like the easy like our kids are taking swimming lessons and like there's like a zero entry into the pool, which is like, you can just walk into the pool as opposed to like jumping in. That's Monopti. If you want to go into the deep end of the pool, let's talk about a gentleman named Alvin Berg. He was a German composer. He, uh, the opera that I'm specifically thinking of, but really you could probably apply this to everything he's ever written because the guy was like kind of all over the place was like 1937 Lulu. Um, it's a three and a half hour opera. Okay. The woman who is like the, pro- and like, I should just at the onset say like, this opera is like very misogynistic. So like, let's put that to the side because the guy was kind of an asshole, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to be like endorsed, but like the woman goes through like, any kind of like human experience you could think of through these three and a half hours 
the first time you listen to it and we did it at the Met when I was there. And so like this thing is literally playing in my office because there's a speaker from my office into the stage for like four weeks. And every time it came on, because they'd do like the morning or afternoon rehearsal, depending on the schedule. And you'd be like, what the fuck is going on over there? <laughs> and it's, it's manic, it's crazy. And it goes in, every direction you couldn't possibly think of and it's it's done that way by by design right. and it's one of those things where it's like you definitely don't get it the first time you listen to it and you probably don't even get it like the third time you listen to it but eventually it gets to a point where you're like or at least for me i don't love it but i can understand what they were trying to do and it's like this whole idea of like concept albums or like artistic vision and like, okay, I don't agree with everything you're trying to do. And it doesn't necessarily like speak to me on a particular like emotional or musical level, but I get what you're trying to do. Like I can at least like sort of understand what you're trying to do. I got to tell you, that is not going to be a future episode of brothers. And Song, <laughs> Cause I would never do that to you. Cause I love you. And that would be painful. <laughs> <laughs> okay but fair enough alvin berg if you ever want to listen to something that's just kind of gonna like put your brain into a little bit of a whirly twirly kind of roller coaster thing listen to some of his music because it's like it's bananas it's just bananas okay fair <laughs> enough so that was my choice which is obviously uh totally par for the course for me but i'm curious <laughs> yeah. do you have any more uh i guess relevant examples you might want to point our listeners towards? Well, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, you know, regarding the those uh, uh, composers, um, it, it reminds me of a time when I was in high school. And uh, my senior year, I, I was in the uh, All-State Choir. Mm -hmm. And we did a few pieces from this song cycle like we didn't do the whole song cycle which i know is a no-no but mm -hmm. be that as it may and it was it was contemporary it was like written within the last you know within 10 years of the performance sure sure in, in the late 90s and it was langston hughes poetry set to music mm -hmm. and it's basically as a novice musician at the time who couldn't read music like at all at that point it it was very strange to me so like the score wasn't helping me and it just had these weird time signatures and very odd rhythms and it, we've got this choir of like i don't know how many kids are in the all-state choir in connecticut like 200 300 yeah 150 maybe all right well anyway it's a lot of kids man come on <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um well, anyway, it's a lot of kids, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so the 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 person they choose to conduct the choir chooses the pieces. And I don't know why he chose this for high school kids, but he chose it probably because he knew the composer. <laughs> well, you know, with this guy, that might be true, because one of the other pieces we did was written by him. Yeah. Um, we just had to drill some of these sections. Yeah, yeah. And not even singing it, but just like speaking out the rhythms. And for whatever reason, 
I still remember some of it yeah. because we had to drill it so much. I, I could probably sing it for you now, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> and maybe a an example that's uh, a little bit more uh, relevant to the topic of this episode is the first time I listened to Tori Amos when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I listened to her, her second album, uh, Under the Pink. Um, it's the one with cornflake girl on it if anyone remembers that song at all um and there were a few tracks on there that i was like what is this do i do i like this and and you know eventually i did grow to like it and i've seen tori amos in concert and she's amazing uh and it'd be great to talk about her on the show at some point in time um but what i find is that when i'm listening to music most of the things that i find myself not sure about i end up growing to to like them because there's something you know there's something unique or distinctive about them that you know makes me want to you know just just keep listening and like try to understand it somehow well just one one comment is like yes you're 100 correct where it's like if you're unsure of something you should just probably keep listening that's like a good rule for life really like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you're unsure because it's different but that doesn't mean it's bad it's just like you're not used to it and that's totally fine and it will take you time to kind of adjust to it so that is a wonderful sentiment for your listening adventure i would say and then just to piggyback on that uh your comment about the composer. So I did do an opera in college with a composer who was actually faculty at my university. And it took forever to learn the music, forever to learn the music. But I swear to you, there are still people in college. If I said like, if I sang like two bars of it, they would sing the reply to me still today. It's like 20 <laughs> years later. Like they would know exactly what I was talking about. And these people I haven't talked to in years and they would know exactly what I meant. So it sticks with you once you learn it, man. It totally does. So with that, you know, we can go ahead and, and transition to our main topic of today, uh, which is Bjork's 1997 album called Homogenic. And, you know, I think if you're a member of the general public, and you've heard of Bjork. What you know is that she's weird and quirky and she's from Iceland and, you know, maybe that's it. You know, and, and while all those things are are true uh, for the most part, um, she is also a great talent and mm-hmm. reducing her to just, you know, being a, a weirdo that, um, you know, Kristen Wiig has impersonated on Saturday Night Live is not really fair. Before we get into the album, I, I think maybe a little background is necessary for the uninitiated. Sure. Uh, Bjork had two previous records um, b- before she recorded Homogenic. Um, and those two, while definitely on the quirky side, had kind of a a, a sweeter sound, a, a more pop sound, and we're just generally more musically accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there was a lot of 
variety to the sounds and styles that were on those first two albums. And for this album, she really wanted a more unified piece of work. And she also kind of wanted the sounds to be reflective of her views on life in Iceland. Mm-hmm. So what the producer of the record, um, Marcus Dravs, recalled Bjork wanting it to sound like rough volcanoes with soft moss growing all over it. A quote from Bjork uh, on the record, she says, in Iceland, everything revolves around nature 24 hours a day, earthquakes, snowstorms, rain, ice, volcanic eruptions, geysers, very elementary and uncontrollable. But on the other hand, Iceland is incredibly modern. Everything is high tech. The number of people owning a computer in Iceland is as high as anywhere else in the world. That contradiction is also on homogenic. The electronic beats are the rhythm, the heartbeat. The violins create the old fashioned atmosphere, the coloring. So I picked this album because Bjork is a one of one, as you're fond of saying. Mm-hmm. And though I am familiar w- with this album and kind of Bjork's work in a, in a general sense, it felt like it was a good time to revisit it after many years. And I, I was I thought it would be really interesting to hear your reaction to it. So let's hear it, Joe. <laughs> Well, you sneaky bastard, because you knew I was going to like this one. <laughs> I, w- I really wasn't sure. I honestly wasn't sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say like everything was pitch perfect, but gosh, there's a lot of incredible elements of this um, in this album. And what was really my like one of my main takeaways is like this was written over 20 years ago. And like, if this came out today, nobody would be shocked. There's not like anything that's really different. And to be able to create that 20 years ago is pretty astounding to me. Like, both in concept and execution. Because there's a lot of electronic elements, but I don't think anybody was doing anything this sophisticated back in 97. Like... To, to, to my ear, at least, and there could be other examples, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but those elements are still being used today because they're so effective. Um, and there are parts of it where, where you realize, like, oh, she actually does have, like, a pretty pretty incredible voice when she uses it, and... Um, to her full capability. And I didn't realize that about her. Um, so that was a bit of a surprise, uh, uh, as Bob Ross would say. It's a happy surprise. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you find the beautiful parts of it. You know, I think for me, the like first half of the album is really pretty great. I think towards the end, we get a little bit out of my comfort zone and not things that I'm like totally in love with, but like the first probably three, four, even five tracks are pretty great. And I say that with the caveat of 
I don't know when I'm ever going to like revisit these in my life. It's not going to be something where it's like, I need to go listen to Bjork now. But listening to it closely for the first time, there were a lot of elements that I really enjoyed. Um, so I know you had, you know, Bjork, as you said in your intro, but what was it like for you revisiting this? Well, first, um, um, one of your comments I have right in my notes, which is, you know, 25 years later, it still feels very fresh. It feels, it feels inventive. It, it, it feels, you know, contempt, you know, just, just contemporary. Mm -hmm. Like, um, this could be, just like you said, this could be released today and it, like, it does not sound dated at all mm -hmm. because that's the plane she was working on right right um, and i think some of the more difficult elements of this album have become easier for me to listen to uh this time around again probably because i'm i'm accustomed to it and like maybe my tastes are more adventurous um and the other thing that struck me was I feel like this is an incredibly well-produced mm. album. Mm -hmm. She definitely achieved her objectives of blending those electronic elements and live instruments. And just the way that those electronic sounds add a lot of tension to the tracks with the, with the bizarre rhythms that are used sometimes and and the tone quality of the electronic elements kind of putting everything on edge and you have the warmth of the string sections with it and and yeah, her yeah. voice and it just creates such a awesome contrast and like everything on it is just really unpredictable in in the best way yeah yeah absolutely um, absolutely so then joe let's let's talk about some of those tracks that are on the front half of the album that you that you said that you in, enjoyed um tell us a little bit about that yeah well i i'm curious to get your reaction but i'll i'll get us started because hunter i think is a fantastic opening track it cut it sets you up for exactly what you're going to experience for this whole album like it's really has all the elements that you experience through the rest of the album the electronic elements, the strings, all of that, her voice. I thought that was great. Um, Bachelorette, to me, there's like two characteristics that I, or two adjectives, I guess, that I would use to describe this. One, it sounds like this should be like the opening of like a Bond movie. <laughs> and like, I don't know, if she was British, maybe that would have happened for her. The other is like, it's very much like a Western. Like, that that like uh the rhythm of the instrumentals throughout that whole thing feels very much like um the soundtrack for a western which maybe we'll explore on a very soon episode of brothers and song but for me the um my favorite was unravel like that was just mm gorgeous in every sense and it was heartbreaking and um you know it has everything you want in a three-minute song like 
And that was when I was like, oh, wow, like she can really sing and she's laying it all out here during this album. And that's really got my attention every time I listened through it, to, to it. And um, it, it's quite beautiful. Um, so I hope I hope I, we don't have too much overlap. But how about you? What, what were some of the tracks that stuck out to you? Uh, well, I do want to respond to what you were saying about uh, uh, Bachelorette, first of all. And I, because I, I know why it has, I didn't expect you to say Western, but I know why you're saying that. And mm -hmm. that's because that rhythm is basically a tango. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tango yeah, comes yeah, yeah. from Argentina. Yeah. Argentina is known for like cattle ranchers and, and stuff like that. So I, I think there, you know, there, there must be some kind of crossover history with that. I'm guessing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but but I just love that when when artists can take a a like historical like musical form like the tango mm -hmm. and and make it their own, which which is really great. And um, yeah, Unravel's a great track. Like that that track does have some pretty like heartbreaking lyrics, like the way she talks about like the devil like taking our love and like wrapping it up in a ball of yarn and hiding it somewhere. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> like I wish I had the lyrics in front of me, um, but uh, that, but that'll encourage everyone to listen to it. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. Uh, well, other than the ones that you mentioned, the, the second track yoga is a great one mm -hmm. too. Um, it's got this cool, electronic baseline to it it's almost like a subsonic yeah, baseline. yeah yeah like if you had a subwoofer in your car that would definitely rattle your doors yeah and um but it has like also these these soaring strings and again it's like that that contrast mm -hmm. that throughout the album between those those elements um and i think it's executed really well in that track and, and it's probably the the prettiest vocal performance yeah by bjork yeah uh, in that song there were some things that you were having trouble wrapping your brain around or, or didn't like as much toward the toward the back end well well before we get to that one thing i, I wanted to mention because i feel like it was like in some of the writing about this is that and, and and it makes sense, right? Because we've explored this on this show. It's immature. It's like, sounds a bit like the police, doesn't it? Right? You get like that, that strange vocal, which is like very much tied to Bjork, but could be similar to Sting, right? That, that kind of like jumped out at me. It's like, huh, this is like totally taking something from the past and bringing it to the, to the four, you know? Um, but back to your question, uh, the one that I like really couldn't wrap my head around was Pluto. And I like, knew it. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can convince me otherwise, we'll see. But like in my notes, it just says like space age noise. That's, <laughs> right, that, right. that's what I had down as what it sounded like to me. And like, it's not a terribly long song, but, but gosh, it feels like it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it feels yeah. like you're in there for a while and right. it's pretty oppressive um for lack of a better word 
Oh yeah, yeah, it totally is, and it is. Uh, it, it is different than the other tracks on the album in that way. Um, I'm not sure if it's sequenced in the right place. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a song that is designed to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I do like stuff like that, like where it like you can just tell like this is designed to push people's buttons sure and sure. there's it doesn't the song really doesn't have a chorus but it has this this repeated uh vocal line that happens mm-hmm. a couple times and like the first time she goes through it is it's kind of just sung in more or less a conventional way like there's an effect on her voice but but then the second time she goes through it whatever that vocal effect is that makes her voice sound like kind of staticky, like, like almost what it sounds like when you're yelling at somebody on the phone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's what I compare it to. She sings that vocal line and then she just keeps repeating it and she doesn't stop. Like you think you think like, okay, this is, this has got to be the last one, right? (laughs) No, she just keeps going. Um, and, and the way she sings it just kind of like gets more and more unhinged as she's going through it too. Sure. Sure. So, so I appreciate the, like the intentionality of creating that, that, uh, you know, that tension and that uncomfortability that said, that may not be something you want to listen to. And I get that. (laughs) Well, Um, and then, and then you go to all is full of love and it's like, it's kind of, I, I think you're right. The sequencing, like, I need, like, a little bit of a deep breath after that to, like, even pay attention to anything. So, like, to have it, like, kind of, like, as the penultimate song is, uh, not kind of, it is the penultimate song. But to have that there, you're just like, ugh. Uh, um, so, so that was one where I was like, eh, I. I really don't need any more of that in my life. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it, it would have been better served, like maybe in the middle somewhere. It, it feels like a dis- the decision to put that on the album at all, like just feels like, okay, well, we really want this on the album, but we don't know where to put it. Right. 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 And, um, you know, they're really I don't know if there really is like an optimal place to put it, but it's not right before All is Full of Love, which is one of her most famous songs. And it's like mm-hmm. a beautifully simple song. Yeah, right. uh, it's just a very relaxed kind of like quiet song. Mm-hmm. And and I can definitely understand like needing, you know, needing space between that and Pluto for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any other um, things that really point out, like stuck out to you? Because one thing I just need to, I think, mention is that Alarm Call, which is right before Pluto, is like very much like in the like 90s genre type of feel like it could almost Mm. be like an Alanis Morissette song, you know? So like that's one of those where it's like, 
it totally could be written now and would make sense now. But like that one is like, oh, I know where we are. I know the time and place in which this was created. This is, you know, a different spin on on some themes and sounds that we've heard before. Um, and it's totally her own interpretation of that. But that was one where it's like, oh, yeah, now I hear the 90s. But that's almost, you know, that's in the last third of the album, you know? Right. And um, I, I think you're you're definitely correct in the description of that song. And that's the type of thing that you would more have found on her on her first two mm. albums. Um, you know, which are which are both good in their own right. They're just different. And sure, sure. You know, and and I think after this album, after Homogenic, uh, I haven't listened to her entire catalog closely because it's really big at this point. But like, this is the start of where she ends up. She would head pretty yeah, much yeah. for the rest of her career at this point, at least from what I've heard. Sure, sure. You know, and and other than the things we we've talked about. I don't have any criticisms or suggestions that I could offer. Like, I feel like anything that I would say about any of this would be like any changes you would make. It would to me, like all I could think of would be like bringing things back to a more conventional form um, to kind of to kind of ground things, but then that would be kind of like the antithesis of what this is about, you know. And that's just the whole the whole point of the thing is that it's just so so fluid and 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 a unified piece of work. And um, you know, the vocals always sound like they're being improvised on the spot. Like there's not a whole lot of you know st- structure. It seems no. to the to the melody lines of the of the vocals um uh but that's just again that's just how she is pretty much with with everything yeah no i i totally agree one other thing i'd mention is that like i don't know if you got this because this is a show that we both watched you know in the recent past but like any number of these songs and and i don't know i didn't check and i probably should have but like this any of this music could be on the last kingdom right which is a show about like vikings and like nordic scandinavian culture and you're like oh yeah like that like that like almost wailing that she does with her voice is very much like in the tradition of that culture and it's beautiful and it has its place but like that like brought me all the way back and for somebody to bring that out and 1997 again it's like one of those things like it makes sense now because it seems like we're all way more aware of you know different cultures and different sounds and different musical um styles and i don't think the whole lot of that was going on in 1997 you know and she brought it into the mainstream in her own way which i thought was pretty cool Right, right. And it's funny you should you should mention The Last Kingdom because uh, Bjork does have, you know, a bit of an acting career and she mm-hmm. actually has a small part in uh, The Northman. 
so uh, it, it's it's funny that you should mention that. Um, any other final thoughts on this as a whole? Uh, I well, what I would just say to close out is like this is really cool. I am pleasantly surprised by the merger of classical and modern techniques in the creation of this. And hearkening back to one of our recent episodes, my friend, we haven't used the word concept album once. And you know why? Because it was pretty fucking clear what she was trying to do. <laughs> right. And yeah. she didn't need to tell us what it was. Right? Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. credit to her. And it's a credit to her produ- producers. And like Mark Bell, his fingerprints, he's a British DJ who was very closely collaborating with Bjork on this whole thing. It's like their fingerprints are all over it and in the best possible way. And, you know, they went out and they created a thing and it's pretty cool. I mean, so again, I said it at the onset, I don't know how much I'm going to go like listen to this again, but I definitely appreciate it for what it is. And I enjoy listening to it for this episode. What about you? What are your final thoughts? I just have, bit of something to say to our listeners like if you Mm -hmm. haven't listened to this before uh checking out this episode um you know if you've never listened to bjork before this might be a tough one if you like more conventional sounding music and you know maybe if you're interested you might want to you know dip your toes in with with one of her uh earlier albums but you know I, i think if you give this if you if you give this a chance and uh, you know, go in with an open mind and you just kind of let those strings, <laughs> mm-hmm. those beautiful strings and, and, and her voice, you know, uh, draw you in that, you know, you, w- you will grow to like this. Um, and I also couldn't help but think, and I don't know if there's a direct line of influence or not, but I can definitely connect the dots from her work to an artist, say, like Billie Eilish mm. in that, Billie Eilish is able to be as weird and quirky as she wants to be. And, you know, we listened to her debut full-length album in, and talked about it in one of our earlier episodes. I listened to her second album just because I wanted to hear it uh, a, a few months ago. And it's like, man, like, she's the most successful pop star in the US, if not the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. And like this stuff is really weird. And yeah, it, it's it's I'm just struck by like how much more accepting, you know, the listening public is to stuff that's gonna, you know, push boundaries like that a little bit. And you know, I, I can't help but believe that, you know, innovative artists like Bjork, even though she's not being talked about now, had, you know, something to do with that. And sometimes it takes 20 or 25 years for that stuff to kind of trickle down into all of our subconscious. Oh, for sure, for sure. And like, think about it now, she came out now that would be 
you know. I think it could quite possibly be even more popular than it was in 1997 because it was a success. Like, people people really gravitated towards it because it was something new and different. Um, right. So, yeah, it's it's a cool thing. I'm glad it's here in the world, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, we got a chance to listen to it. Absolutely. So what do we have on tap for the next episode, Joe? So we're going to do another one of our uh, loved uh, special episodes. We're going to do, you know, something I really appreciate. And I think most people like it, but they don't quite quite understand. So hopefully we can help guide some folks through that. And we're going to take a look at some film score music. So people like John Williams or Danny Elfman or Hans Zimmer, we've mentioned them on this podcast, but let's actually listen to the music they've written. Hmm? What do you think about that one? I'm in, I'm in total agreement. And, and I do, you know, notice and appreciate, you know, movie scores when I'm, when I'm watching movies and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that for sure. Excellent. So until then, my friends, Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time. Brothers in Song is written and produced by Joseph Collin and Daniel Collin, and edited by Daniel Collin. To keep up with the latest news, follow us on Instagram at Brothers in Song. Until next time, listen to some new music. You just may surprise yourself.